Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. After work one Friday afternoon in the early years of the AIDS crisis, Dave and Kevin, a longtime member of Alcoholics Anonymous and his sponsee, left Provincetown for a weekend together in Maine. On Saturday, Dave was suddenly disoriented. Terrified, Kevin got him into the car and headed for home. Stopping here in Boston at Fenway Community Health Center, everyone's worst fears were confirmed. Dave had AIDS and it had invaded his brain. Kevin called me from a payphone. The doctor says, it's only going to get worse, he said, and he can't be left alone. On Friday, Dave had been the director of a large arts organization in town. By Sunday, he was never going to work again. A group of volunteers from AA and the church gathered. The town nurse explained what was happening in Dave's brain using the image of telephone poles strung with a complex of wires. The virus, she said, was like a tornado violently toppling the poles and knocking out service. He was losing ground daily, sometimes hourly. There was no telling how long the storm would rage before the destruction was complete. We had already learned the hard way that there was no help or worse at the hospital. One person taped a chart to the wall with the tasks required for Dave's care listed across the top and days and times lifted down the left-hand edge. Quickly, we filled in the boxes. We were a devoted community. One of the first shifts I took was to just keep him company. I let myself into his house and found Dave lying on top of the bed, curled up with Diana, a member of the meeting house, who was reading Winnie the Pooh out loud. He was alert, but he had already lost his capacity for speech. A wave of grief swept over me as I realized I would never hear his voice again that he was leaving quickly, and in some ways, already gone. My eyes filled with tears, and as he looked at me, so did his. We were all devastated. I took over from Diana, but I had brought poetry by Rilke. It was a beautiful evening. I asked Dave if he'd like to go outside. I pulled two lounge chairs close together, and we sat on the deck. He reached for my hand. I read Sunset. Slowly the West reaches for clothes of new colors, which it passes to a row of ancient trees. 
You look and soon these two worlds both leave you. One part climbs toward heaven, one sinks to earth, leaving you, not really belonging to either. Not so helplessly dark as that house that is silent, not so unswervingly given to the eternal as that thing that turns to a star each night and climbs, leaving you. It is impossible to untangle the threads. Your own life, timid and standing high and growing so that sometimes blocked in, sometimes reaching out. One moment your life is a stone in you, and the next a star. Someone showed up to visit and snapped a picture of us from behind. Two old friends, hand in hand, looking out over the bay and up into the vast sky. I treasure that image because I remember it as the moment when I stopped trying to outwit or outrun AIDS. That my tears of shock and grief were also tears of surrender and strangely of a measure of peace. The moment when I finally accepted that death, my constant companion, had the capacity to inform and transform every moment of being alive in this wild and precious life. At the entrance to most Zen meditation halls, there's a han, a large, solid wooden block that monks strike with a mallet to call students to the zendo for meditation. Written across the block in black ink is the Buddha's teaching. Be aware of the great matter of birth and death. Life passes swiftly. Wake up, wake up. Do not waste this life. Don Juan Matus, the great Yaqui Indian shaman and leader of a lineage of seers in Sonora, Mexico, told his most famous student, Carlos Castaneda, what do we really have except life and our own death? The thing to do when you're impatient is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death. An immense amount of pettiness is dropped if your death makes a gesture to you, or if you can catch a glimpse of it, or if you just have the feeling that it is there watching you. Frank Ostaseski, co-founder of the Zen Hospice Project, writes, my sense of self was undone by a heart attack. One day I was the respected Buddhist teacher, the next I was just another patient in a hospital gown. I was humbled and helpless. Losing touch with my self-image felt frightening at first. I had always been the strong one, the one who cared for others. Now I was feeling feeble and dependent. 
I was reminded of the old Sumerian myth of Queen Inanna's descent to the underworld. She begins dressed in fine robes, wearing a crown of a god. On the way down, she passes through seven gates, and at each gate, she is required to relinquish her symbols of power, a gold ring, her breastplate, her lapis scepter. It is the story of an archetypal journey to wholeness, shedding the trappings of her former self and gaining insight into death in order to return with a fuller appreciation of life. We habitually string ourselves together with various shiny ornamentations to shape a positive self-image. Conversely, we may add fuel to the fire of a negative self-concept. We carry around this construct and project it into the world. We invest in it and come to mistake it for reality. Then something comes along and exposes what seems so solid. Frank Ostaseski again. I feel, I felt as naked as Queen Inanna descending. But in the months following my heart attack, as I accepted the fragility of my life, it opened me. I felt myself to be more transparent, more permeable. The beauty in our impermanence binds us to every other human being. Empathy arises through an appreciation of our transience and an understanding of our deep interconnectedness to everyone and everything. It's helpful to remember our fragility as well as our resilience ours and that of every other living being, it's helpful to welcome our interconnectedness. I'm told there's a huge medical center somewhere in the Midwest where every time a baby is born, they play Brahms lullaby on the public address system. It's played everywhere, in doctor's offices, in orthopedics and cardiac care, in the emergency department, in the admin offices and security, and in every patient room. For just a few bars of music, the stress of pain and suffering is interrupted. A moment of uplift reminds everyone of the joy and promise of a new life. Welcoming our interconnectedness. By the time he was 70 years old, a man whose name I don't know had planted 10,000 oak trees. He knew that he would never see any of them grow to maturity, but as he labored, he liked to imagine that someday children would play in their magnificent branches. Welcoming our interconnectedness. And I love this. The great psychotherapist Carl Rogers wrote of working with his patients before every session, I take a moment to remember my humanity. 
there is no experience that this person has that I cannot share with them. No fear that I cannot understand, no suffering that I cannot care about, because I too am human. No matter how deep their wound, they do not need to be ashamed in front of me. I too am vulnerable. And because of this, I am enough. Whatever their story, they no longer need to be alone with it. This is what will allow their healing to begin. Welcoming our interconnectedness. There's a Buddhist teaching that says, welcome everything, push away nothing. I'm not there yet, but I can report that it's a worthy aspiration. The Tibetan master Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche taught that the heart of our spiritual practice should be a complete openness, a willingness, he said, to look into whatever arises, to work with it, and to relate to it as part of the overall process. It's a larger way of thinking, a greater way of viewing things, as opposed to being petty and finicky. When Frank Ossoseski's brother, Alan, lost his, brother, lost his battle with drug abuse and alcoholism, Frank went to the mortuary to sit with his body before he was cremated. Just as he was settling in to reflect, meditate, and pray, Alan's wife, Lorraine, burst into the room. High on drugs, she was extremely agitated and began causing a commotion. At first, Frank felt angry. He wanted peace. And now there was this chaos. He desperately wanted Lorraine to leave. Then he says, I stopped myself from attempting to force events to progress in the way I had imagined. I thought, you wanted to be with your brother? This is what it's like to be with him. This is it. I decided to welcome the anger rather than push it away so that I could see what was true. What was true in that moment. Welcome everything. Push away nothing. He stood, walked over to the frantic Lorraine and laid his hand on her shoulder, hoping to provide some comfort. She talked, she ranted, he listened in silence, only occasionally answering a question. After 15 minutes, she quieted down and left. In the end, in the beginning, to welcome our interconnectedness and to deeply experience it, we have to move in. It's counterintuitive, I know, moving in is a high-level spiritual practice. But by moving in rather than backing away, the door is opened. Which brings us full circle to telephone poles, except with a happy ending. A guy installs telephone poles, explains they're hard and heavy, 
Sometimes they're 40 feet high. And there's this critical moment when you first get the pole into the ground and it's not stable yet, it could topple right over. If it hits you, it could be catastrophic. On my first day on the job, I turned to my partner, he was one of those real old timers, and I said to him, man, if this thing starts to fall, I'm running like a bat out of, nope, the old timer interrupted him, you don't wanna do that. If that thing starts to fall, you want to move in. You get right up close and put your hands on it, put your hands on the pole. It's the only safe place to be. Our instinctive reaction is to run, run from suffering. But we can't escape. This is the nature of life in a body. Life and death. The wise response is to move in and put our attention, our minds and hands and hearts on what hurts. And so to gently and mercifully connect deeply with every other living being. Beloved spiritual companions, be aware of the great matter of birth and death. Life passes swiftly. Wake up. Wake up. Do not waste this life. Whatever our story, we do not need to be alone with it. We are all fragile, resilient, transient. Let's move in. Let's get right up close and put our hands on it, welcoming our interconnectedness. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.